And good morning, everybody. Again, you may or may not have heard there's a new epidemic. Feel free to groan if you need to. A doctor by the name of Susan Coven, she practices internal medicine in Massachusetts, she wrote about this new epidemic in the Boston Globe. And she said this, she said, in the past few years I've discovered, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, maybe lights flashing up and down, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. She said the condition is excessive busyness. She said, there was, well, actually, not, she didn't say this. Another article appeared in the New York Times, and this one really struck a nerve with people. And it received 800 comments. It was quoted, and it was retweeted. And, and this quote captures the essence of what the author's analysis is of what he called the busy trap. Listen to this. If you live in, the, in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It becomes the default response when you ask someone how they're doing. Busy. I'm so busy. I am crazy busy. And it's pretty obviously a boast, this is very interesting, a boast disguised as a complaint. And the response is almost of a, a congratulation. That's, well, that's a good problem to have. Or, well, that's better than the opposite. Busyness sort of serves as a, a hedge against emptiness. And obviously your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, if you are completely booked, if you're on demand every hour of the day. We're busy because of our own ambition or drive or anxiety because we're addicted to busyness and dread what we might be in its absence. That came from Tim Kreider in The Busy Trap. So what about you? Are you too busy? Are you crazy busy? Are you always busy? Too busy for people? Too busy for relationships? Too busy, if you're going to be honest, too busy for church oftentimes. And there's a tragic cost that comes with all of this busyness. And it may be serving as a barrier to your joy right now. Because I, I come to a verse like we see in John 15, 5. We'll give you just a second. I'll read it off the screen. Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what I want to talk about this morning is, well, how can I abide in Christ? Am I too busy for this kind of abiding that is absolutely essential for the Christian walk? 
The text I want to read this morning comes from John chapter 15. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. It says there, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I have chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. We continue to work our way through the book of John. And we're getting, we're getting closer. Um, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we continue to quote it, and I continue to read it to you so you'll understand the purpose of why John is sharing these things with us. Therefore, he says, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. And this morning, I want to look at the passage this way. I will talk about a command. You'll see a command, a result of the command. A command to abide in Jesus. You'll see the result of that, that is bearing fruit. You'll see a third command, that is to give and experience the love of God. And then finally, we'll talk about an application, about setting priorities. So then, let's talk about this first command, which is to abide in in Christ. I want to unpack this. This is the last of Jesus' I am statements. And he says there in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, the scriptures use that imagery quite a bit, this idea of a vine and a vine dresser. Usually, Israel is the vine, and now Jesus is saying, I am the vine. That's probably a picture of Jesus being the true Israel. And right now, he and the disciples, they've already gotten up. They've probably left the upper room, and they're walking. 
They're walking from Jerusalem. They're walking to the Mount of Olives. And in all likelihood, they pass by the temple. And in front of the temple, there's a gold grapevine. As a matter of fact, you see it right there. I'm not sure what's going on with the five folks down there at the bottom. This is the best picture I've found of a grapevine. There's a golden grapevine wrapped around that entryway. And he was using this as a, a picture so we have Jesus as the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, the one that would clean the vines and make decisions about what to do next with the vines. And then immediately in verse 2, we've got two kinds of branches. It says there in John 15, 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, we've got the fruitful branch in Christ. We've got the, the non-fruitful branch that's taken away. Now, this would have gotten the disciples' attention because they could very well have been thinking, well, what kind of branch am I? And then he answers that in verse 3. He said, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So he made it clear that they're not only attached but also dressed. And therefore, these disciples are ready for fruit-bearing. Now, one disciple is already out. That was Judas. He's already gone. And then Jesus further expands what he said in verse 2, in verses 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So, obviously, it, it's a really big deal that we are abiding in Christ. That's great. So what does that mean? Well, if you go down a little bit further, down to verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. So we must abide in Christ. And this comes down to obeying him. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly. He knows that. And so far in one of the, in the Gospel of John, one of the main commands keeps saying it and saying it and saying it. He says, believe, believe, believe. So it starts with faith. That's how the abiding begins. But then it also moves on to dependence and obedience. And this is very much like a, a parent-child relationship. A, a child is totally dependent on the parent to, to take care of them and love them. And it's persevering and depending on Christ. And, and one of the results, as it says in verse 11, it's fullness of joy. See, that's where God wants us to live, in a joyful relationship with him. And you have to determine in your life which direction you're moving in. Because, see, this kind of abiding is going to take sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice things in this world. Because, see, this world is always trying to make demands on your time. And it's always telling you how you should be spending your time. And Sam brought up in the beginning, I really, you know, when he was going through all those talks about, you know, Facebook and 
snapping and Instagram. I'm like, I, I, I was feeling a little hot behind the collar. TV, I mean, we've got so many things that are there just to suck our time away. And you have to determine what in your life is moving you to Christ and what is moving you away. What in your life are you doing for the glory of God? And it can be work, and it can be sports, and it can be academics. The problem is when you make all of those things an end in themselves, if you have to be the best employee, if you have to be the best athlete, if you have to be the best student, it is so easy for a good thing then to become an idol. It becomes something that you find your identity in. I'm only worth something in this world if I become this. Now you've got a big problem. Because now you're starting to weaken. Finding a false identity is, does not abide in Christ. But in the full scheme of things, the things that God calls you to sacrifice in the world, are they really any sacrifice at all? Your time? Fullness of joy now, a deep abiding assurance that Jesus is sovereign over all circumstances. That's how he wants you to live. In a complete sense of dependence and confidence. This is what abiding looks like. We've got this command to abide, and then we see more broadly the result of abiding in Christ, which, which is to bear fruit. And we saw this back in verse 2, and, and well, what is the fruit? And Jesus mentioned this passage, love and joy, even friendship with him down in verse 14. Fruit is the good outcome that God desires to produce through you. And, and you heard it in Paul's prayer this morning, that, and I pray that we will always be a church until the Lord comes back producing good fruit right here in the community of Sheridan and even worldwide. One of the commentators, D.A. Carson, states it this way, the fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine. Paul described the fruits in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against these things, there's no law. So the expectation for the believer is that they should be growing in these areas. Now, if you're a farmer of any kind, you'll know that you've got plants that look like this, uh, not ready to be picked, not, not ripe. And you know that when you put seeds in the ground, and even when you get a little sprout, you don't immediately have fruit, do you? It takes time. That, that vine has to grow before it can even have fruit on it. And it's the same way with Christians. We have to grow before we really start producing fruit. So a brand new Christian, I wouldn't expect them to have all kinds of fruits growing all of a sudden. This takes, this takes time. This takes effort effort in, in, in our part in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. At the same time, it is the Holy Spirit growing through you. See, this is so, this is so key. A lot of times we, we only think that we're experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life if we kind of feel some sort of ecstasy or something like that. I, I don't know. And what I'm noticing in my own life is that I fail to recognize that anything good any fruit at all is the work of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. See, that fruit is there because I did 
Well, hold on. That fruit is there because out of the grace of God, he produced it through you. Do we cooperate? Yes. And in this relationship between the branch and the vine, it is, it is 100 100 if you get it. And what I mean is, yes, we, we exert 100% of our effort to cooperate and, and do what God commands. At the same time, we acknowledge it is 100% God that, ever, that, that anything good comes out of it. It's 100-100. But God affects the changes in the life of every person who trusts in Jesus for salvation. As a matter of fact, the founder of Dallas Seminary, Lewis Ferry Chafer, identified 33 different things that happen when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But they're invisible changes. So if you're kind of thinking, well, man, I'm just not sure there's any fruit. Well, just, just chill out a little bit, all right? Are you believing? Are you trusting? Start there. Are you trusting that Jesus did what he said he did, that he was who he said he was? Just start there. And then give God the credit and thank him if you see any growth. And then we need to talk about verse 6. We've got the, the good and fruitful branches that abide in Christ, but there's these other branches. The ones that don't bear fruit, we see it in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What's going on here? This, is, this, has been, this has been a troubling passage for people. And there's been there's three different options, actually several options of interpretation have been presented. I just want to quickly go through those and, and share what I believe is, is going on here. And one option is, well, some have said, well, these, these branches are people who once believed and then stopped believing. And this is a picture of them being thrown into hell and burned. But there's a problem with that. If you go back and you look at John 10, verse 28, Christ makes it very clear that one does not lose their salvation once they have obtained it. It says, I give them. Notice it says, I give them eternal life. He doesn't take it back. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And, and that would go against... If, if you believe that this was someone who'd lost their salvation, that would go against what we as a church believe. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. So I don't think number one is an option. Then one option is, well, some have suggested, well, this is uh, Christian discipline, maybe even death, about, you know, aimed at bringing restoration to the end. But it seems to evoke um, images of, of judgment, maybe even eternal judgment. You know, the, the, the branches are picked up and, thrown into the fire and burned. So again, I'm, I'm back to the same problem I had with the first option. But then there's a third view that would say, well, these are branches, these are people who have some superficial um, identity, some loose connection with Christ, and, uh, and, and then they've been found not to be believers, and they've been thrown away. And we meet these people in the Gospel of John who have shown some belief but an inadequate belief you see that in back in chapter 12 they live on the margin of the community of faith and do some activities but they've really never embraced the truth see i think though there's a problem with all three of these interpretations and i believe what we're seeing here is that jesus's vine image sometimes we press this passage to answer questions it was not intended to answer 
And this passage very much goes along with the other I am statements that Jesus makes. I think looking at the context of the passage is what gives us the best interpretation when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the water. If you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And Jesus is saying something very similar here. Good grape farmers know how to read the health of the vines. The living branches are trimmed. Dead branches are removed insofar as they, they don't have the life going through them. And I think you can sum this up in one statement. I like the way one commentator says this. The principle is simple. Jesus and the vine are the source of life. To fail to have him is to fail to have life. That's what's being communicated here. And to refuse to remain in Jesus is to refuse to give, to accept, accept the gift of life that he offers. That's what I'm trying to say. Elsewhere, he, he gives other gifts, living water, bread of life, and the image is the same. He's talking about the essential life-giving work, and he's not talking about the history of individual branches. So we want to be in the business of bearing fruit, and, and part of that is the Father's pruning, pruning us taking away those parts of us that are no longer producing. And we should expect that this is not always going to be a pleasant process. This vine dressing, this, this cleaning, as a matter of fact, with one Episcopal priest named Urban Holmes. He wrote, how does your garden grow? And he said this, any good gardener knows that beautiful roses require careful pruning. Pieces of a living plant have to die. It cannot just grow wild. We cannot simply celebrate growth. It is more than to be regretted. It is tragic that we seem to have lost the insight that growth in Christ requires careful pruning. Pieces of us, by our intentional action, need to die if we are to become the person that is in God's vision. We are not cutting away a cancerous growth, but making room for intended growth. That's what God, the Father, it says, is in the business of doing. He is snipping out parts of you that don't need to be there. And this snipping, you can anticipate, is not going to be a pleasant process. James will talk about through trials and difficulties. This is how God is going to grow you. This is the pruning So abide in Christ so that you can bear fruit. And bearing fruit necessitates this regular pruning. And then Christ gives a command that encompasses the other commands that he's given. He says it there in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is the third part of abiding in Christ. It's to, to give and experience God's love. So first of all, Jesus commands us to love each other as he has loved them. And, wh and what does that look like? Well, he he explains it in the next three verses, 13 through 15. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. Now see, this is the kind of intimate relationship we can have with God, such that he will call us friends. If we do what he's commanded us to do. We're not going to do it perfectly. And at this time, a king could have friends. <clears throat> and the friends of the king were those who he had 
who had the closest, most intimate connection with him. And they had the right to come to him at any time. And, and God is available all the time. And he told them whatever they asked in his name, that means those things which are asked consistent with his will, he will do for them. But don't gloss over this closeness, this intimacy, and this friendship that Christ calls us to with him. I, I came across something about friendship I thought was, was very helpful. And the point of it was that <clears throat> this man was making the point, he's a communications professor, and he says that friendship takes time. He, he was uh, a professor at the University of Kansas, Jeffrey Hall. And he talks about the relationship, the commitment to friendship takes investment. He said a casual friendship takes 40 to 60 hours. To move beyond that, a close friend would take 80 to 100 hours. And then moving on to a best friend, it would take about 160 to 200 hours. And time spent together was a key predictor of closeness. He said the kind of talk friends engaged in was important. Small talk about pets or current events, that was lower closeness. Striving talk, which he called catching up about events that have occurred since the last time you saw the person. What's happened to you during the day? Serious conversation where both of you are involved in the conversation. He said talking in ways that express love and give attention and affection predicted greater closeness. Surprise, surprise. So it is with your relationship with God. And closeness in a relationship requires time and deep conversation. And the same is true in our relationship with God. That's why prayer is absolutely essential in getting close to God. You will not grow in your relationship with God if you are not praying to Him regularly and pouring it out there. That's one of the reasons this fall in men's ministry, we are going to be focusing on being a man of prayer because it is key to the Christian life. So what does that mean? Well, it means we've got to set our priorities right. We've got to set our priorities right. And uh, the moment, this time is such a precious gift God gives us. And the moment-by-moment decisions that we are making, we are making decisions towards light and life, or we are making decisions towards darkness and death. And here lately, even when I'm just sitting, watching my son play, I'm also praying, God, is this, how would you have me to interact with him? What would be the best way to use my time with him right now? I know it's short. And we're either making decisions consistent or inconsistent with our identity in Christ. So if someone were to look at your schedule, if they were looking at how you spent your day yesterday or the day before or the day before that, would they come to the conclusion that you're a child of God? point is if you are going to abide in Christ you have to make room for God in the process of thinking about what tomorrow is going to look like if you're going to school going to work going to the pool where is where are you going to be with God in prayer tomorrow where is that going to be where is time spent in his word is gathering by the way we don't come to church we gather with the church where is that a priority to you had a conversation um, last Saturday with a man in our church. He told me, he said, when he was a boy, his mom told him he could play baseball, school baseball. But he said, you, she said, you will never miss church because of baseball. 
And he was mad. He said, he said, I don't believe he continued playing baseball. And he said he was not happy about it. He said, Chad, I came to church. All right. He said, you know what I did? I just sat in the back, I sat in the back row and I read Stephen King novels. But he said this. He said, I'm so thankful she did that. He said, that instilled in me a priority of church. How are you instilling a prioritization of God and Christ and church, not only in your life, but all those little eyes that are watching you. Do they see the greatest predictor, one of the greatest predictors of a child continuing on in faithful attendance is by having parents who continue on in faithful attendance? Is it a priority? So putting this all together, pay, pay the time price to abide in Christ. Pay the time price to abide in Christ. You know, you can pay extra money these days to get uh, jeans with gaping holes in them. Did you know that? You can go into a store and you can buy furniture that is what they call distressed. In other words, it has the appearance of age to it. As a matter of fact, you can even buy, it's like a spray kind of stuff that you can put on your truck to make it look like you've been going through the mud. Isn't that awful? And if you've ever seen Willie Nelson play guitar, he plays this old, banged-up guitar. It looks, it looks terrible, but man, the sounds he can make come out of that. And I read a story one time about a young man. He, decided, he, he, wanted, he bought a new guitar, but he wanted that old look to it, so he took a blowtorch to it. He almost burned his school down. But you know what? It didn't change the sound that came out of it. You know, I oftentimes try and short-circuit the maturation process of walking with God. I, I think, well, if I just read the right books, go to the right conferences, then I will... Wait. It's good to read the right books. It's good to go to the right conferences. But we are also going to have to go through times of difficulty. We're going to have to go through the pruning process, and if we look through the scriptures, if we want to follow the example of our Savior, remember Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he was used by God. Joseph was 13 years in an Egyptian prison. Jesus lived 30 years in, in obscurity as a peasant before three years that changed the world. So what kind of pruning process is God taking you through right now? Just embrace it, trust him, Christ-likeness does not come cheap. And abiding with him is going to require a cost. But the joy that he promises us, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth anything to abide in Christ? And it will make you better at parenting, being a spouse, whatever it is that God puts you into, this is part of the process glorify him while you're doing it let's pray together almighty god we thank you so much for your word we thank you for the promises you've given us and lord i pray that we would take the time to abide lord that we would not neglect the basic disciplines that are required if we are to abide in you if we are to be a fruitful branch that you that if lord as you are producing fruit through us that we would trust you that we would love you more 
that we would accept the love that you have given us, that we would express that love to others. And God, give us the wisdom to see when we are not using our time as we should, when we are not taking the time to abide, when we are not praying, when we are not in your word, when we are neglecting the necessity of gathering with your people for corporate worship every week. And God, I pray now as we go into this time of baptism down by the creek, that it would be a picture of the forgiveness that we have received, or that we have participated in your burial, that you've raised us back up to new life. And God, I pray for great fellowship while we are having that time of sitting and eating. I thank you so much for those who brought the food. I thank you so much for the food that we'll be eating. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.